Thanks, you guys. All right, well, good morning again. We're going to be in the book of Mark. If you have a Bible, uh, if you grab that and turn to Mark chapter 10, I'd appreciate that. If you don't have one with you, if you want to take a minute to go snag one off the bookshelf or your nightstand, we can, uh, we're going to go through Mark chapter 10 together. Mark 10. We, uh, we're going to do a four-part series, I guess you'd call it. Uh, it's a follow-up, and it's Easter follow-up. And when we, when we had our Easter service, uh, I, I brought up several stories about the resurrection, regarding the resurrection. We had the women at the tomb who went to anoint Jesus' body with, uh, with oils and spices. Then we had the disciples on the road to Emmaus and, uh, and their story of what was happening after the resurrection, after Christ had been really buried and then rose. And then we had uh, the story when those disciples returned back to the disciples in Jerusalem, and they were in the house, in the room, and Jesus came in and appeared before them. And, uh, and those stories were all about uh, what are we really gaining and gathering from this life that we found through the resurrection. And, and what we found, there were four themes uh, in each one of these stories. Uh, the first theme we saw was this confusion or this despair that the women actually went to the tomb not ready to find it open and, and empty, but they went there to, to continue preparing Christ's body for forever, for death. And, and they were searching, we saw, for the living among the dead. And that was, there was confusion about what Christ was really doing. And he had said that he was going to rise again. So what we see in the, in the stories next, not only was there confusion and despair because they were searching for life among the dead, uh, there, there was, the next step was a rebuke. Jesus or the angels said, why? Why are you searching for the living among the dead? You, you should know better. And Jesus said to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, you are so slow and foolish to believe all that's been said and done. And then from that point, they went into this time of instruction and, and said, it's written, it's been written, it's been told to you, it's been described plainly that you should know better, you should know this. And if you would only have turned the affections of your heart and, and, the, and your ears, the inclination of your ears towards the Word of God and towards the teachings of Christ, you would have understood this. So that was the third thing, instruction. And the fourth thing we saw on Easter Sunday was uh, Jesus changes everything, right? When we really understand, when we really see when we really believe that He can bring life, He changes everything. And while that was great in its own, we, uh, we didn't get enough time spent on each one of those, uh, those topics. So today, we're going to be looking at that, that confusion and despair moment, that first scene in those stories where they were searching for the living among the dead. And today's sermon title is Looking for Life in All the Wrong Places. Uh, you can get sermon notes if you haven't already. They're, uh, it's in the description in this video. It's also on our website, fbcmountshasta.com. Uh, and you can grab the sermon notes to follow along with the passages of Scripture that I'm using today and the points that uh, will be made. There are also discussion questions on that, on that, that sheet with those sermon notes that uh, we, we encourage you to, to use uh, in your group, uh, in your family, wherever you are right now, or in, even individually. Go through those questions and, and just see what the Lord might be doing and stirring in you. Uh, there'll be a time for that right at the end. And in fact, Alistair will put that on a screen at the end of the sermon, uh, at the end of the service time, and you can pause that, and the questions will all be there that you can, you can work through together. But we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 17 through 31, looking at the rich young ruler today and seeing how this can kind of come together uh, with, our, with our story from, uh, from Easter as well. Let's go ahead and pray, and we'll get into the Word. Father, we are so grateful that uh, you love us. We're so grateful that you've given us your word, and God, that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, we ask now that you would quiet our hearts, still our hearts, open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to what it says, that God, you would convict us of sin by the power of your Spirit, 
That, God, you would move us into a place of obedience and repentance. God, that we would move into a place where we are humbly yours and being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you pursue us so, so fervently. God, let us not miss that moment now where we can increase our faith in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're in Mark chapter 10. We're going to read verses 17 through 31, and then we'll, we'll talk about that. You ready? As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not be defraud. Uh, honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all of these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were astonished at his words. And Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Then they were even more astonished, saying to one another, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Peter began to tell him, Look, we have left everything and followed you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more. Now at this time, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. But many who are first will be last. And the last first. Well, we're going to break this apart, and uh, again, the title of the sermon today is Looking for Life in All the Wrong Places. That is really an issue. That, uh, that's an issue that the disciples had that morning, that Sunday morning when, when uh, Jesus had risen from the grave. They were looking for life in all the wrong places. You don't look for the living among the dead. You don't go to the cemetery to find life. And Jesus was alive, and they just didn't understand that. And they were confused. They were in despair. They were looking for life in all the wrong places. So today, we're going to look at three different observations about looking for life in all the wrong places. Three observations, we can get at least three, from the passage we see here in Mark. The first one, number one, is this. We're all looking for life. We're all looking for life. Uh, you know, there's this, this book that's the, the Search for Significance, and, and I, I've read it. It's a great book, but it talks about this, this search that we have in our lives to find identity, to find value, to, to make sure that we, we mean something, right? And God has placed value on us, and He has loved us, and He's loved us deeply. But we are inadequate in our own to find true life and to fulfill our own passions and desires. Yet, we seek as hard as we can in the things of the world to find life and to be fulfilled. Look at, look at the passage in Mark. You see the rich young ruler, he comes, and he's, Jesus is setting out on a journey, and a, a man ran up and he knelt down before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
So this man was seeking life, seeking eternal life. He's like, there's, there's something to this. I need life. Now, we all search for life. We search for meaning. We search for value. We search for ego and identity. And we search for those things to build our own little kingdom and secure that kingdom. And, and we build it with things like hobbies or relationships or comfort. Maybe we build it with things like shopping or creating crafting right maybe we we build it with intimacy with another person maybe we build it with food or drink or entertainment and the list can go on and on and on in the ways that we try to build satisfaction build life and build our little kingdom something that we are in control of essentially though what we're saying is that as we search for significance as we search for value as we search for identity as we search for life we're saying we're going to find it in the building of our own little kingdom with those things. But those things don't last. Those things don't last. I, I want to read a passage out of the book of Habakkuk. And you should have the Scriptures for you right there. You can go to that. We've, we've just finished a series in Habakkuk. But it was such a wonderful passage. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 18-20. through 20. It says this, What use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It is only a cast image, a teacher of lies. For the one who crafts it, shapes, or crafts, crafts its shape, it tr- trusts in it and makes worthless idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says, Wood, wake up, or, or to the mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look. It may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in His presence. What this is explaining initially is that as we search after idols, as we try to find idols that will fulfill us, we are looking for life in all the wrong places. We are looking for the living among things that are dead. They have no breath in them. They cannot come alive. They cannot teach us. And and we know this, by the way. We search for it in them, and then when we can't find it, we set that one aside, and we move on to the next one. And we can do that probably infinitely with the idols that we have at our access, at our fingertips. But we will never be truly fulfilled. We will never truly find life. And we we shouldn't. And we shouldn't search for truth or life in what is dead and in what teaches lies. But it is the Lord, it says, that is in His holy temple and and He is sovereign over the whole earth. He is the one who has created us and He is the one who knows the life that we need and is going to provide that for us. So there's this progression we're going to see today as we search for life. We, We first start... Uh, searching for life just by looking for life in all the wrong places. We, we actually are on a quest to find life, and we find it in, in those things, hobbies or comfort or food or intimacy, whatever it might be, relationships. But Paul dealt with this too, and Paul exposed this search for life when he, uh, in Acts chapter 17, and he's, he's there in the, the people of Athens, right? And he's in verses 22 through 23, I want to read this. There's a great passage here that you could read later with your family. But Paul, it says, stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. So these people, they were searching for life. 
They were making an idol for this and making an idol for that and making a, a monument for this or a, a, whatever it might have been. They, they wanted to search for life and fulfillment. He says, I see that you're religious in every aspect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Now, Paul goes on there to share the gospel. He, he makes this unknown God that they're trying to, to tribute. He makes him known to them. But for the people in Athens, they, they basically wanted to have all their bases covered. Said, oh, not, it's, yes, it's one thing to, to search for and look for uh, life in idols and in, in worship, but there's got to be all of our bases covered. So what did he say? He said, let's, let's add religion to that. Let's say to the unknown God, whatever God might be there that we forgot, that we didn't mention, that we didn't think of, we'll, we'll tribute to him or her or it or whatever it is as well. Let's make sure it's all covered so we might have life. And Paul says that this God can be known, and this God is Jesus Christ who was crucified and was risen from the dead. And in Him, through the power of His resurrection, in Him is real, real life. So what it does, though, is this. You think, okay, I'm searching, I'm looking, I'm seeing these idols, I'm using them to, to find life and comfort and value and ego and peace. I'm, I'm using them to build my little kingdom and be in control of it. And then Paul says, hey, this unknown God, there's something behind this. So then we, we move not only from a place of looking at things and comfort for life. Now we say, well, maybe it is in religion. Maybe it is actually in trying to obey the unknown God or, or the God you might know. And, and the, to the people in Athens, maybe they say, well, now that we know it's actually about God and it's not about just us fulfilling our own comforts or pleasures, then He must be ready to give us life through what we achieve and how good we are. And see, that's not true. That's so dangerous of a road to go down. The first point, again, was we're looking for life. We're all looking for life. And, and we're looking for it in the wrong places. We're, we're looking for it in things to bring us comfort and to build our little kingdom. But the progression will take us from looking into to doing. And that is just as dangerous. And that leads us to number two. Our second observation about looking for life in all the wrong places is this, that life doesn't come through the law. It doesn't come through your perfect religious system. It doesn't come through your perfect obedience to this religious system. In fact, no one can be perfect at it. Let's continue in our passage in Mark 10, verses 18-20. through 20. Remember, he said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? He's looking for life. Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I've kept all of these from my youth. Now, I want to see this on two different planes and in two different ways. He says good teacher to Jesus, and Jesus understood that no one is good except God. And he didn't rebuke him saying, I'm not good, don't call me that. He is good because he, Jesus, is God in the flesh. And he says, no one is good but God alone. And then he goes on, he says, you know the commandments. Now, I, I started to read this as there's no pause here. When Jesus says, no one is good but God, and says, you know the commandments, I think what Jesus is really getting to the heart of is this, that no one is good but God. And, and here are the commandments that you and I fail at all the time. Let me show you that no one is good except for God. 
How? Well, you know the commandments. Do not murder. What did Jesus say at the Sermon on the Mount? If you've hated your brother in your heart, you've committed murder. Do not commit adultery, it says. Well, what did Jesus say at the Sermon on the Mount? If you've looked lustfully after a woman, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. These are all things that start and begin with the attitude of the heart. So as Jesus says this, he's not saying no one is good but God and then pausing and saying, okay, let's get back to your question. How do you find eternal life? By doing these things. Now we've read that often and, and I think the rich young ruler took, took it to mean that, right? So he, he heard that no one's good but God. And then, then he's like, well, let's get to the point. Okay, wh- how do you get eternal life? Well, you know the commandments, follow them. And he responded. He said, oh, teacher, I, I've kept all of these from my youth. And what he was saying to Jesus was, look, I, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good enough. He, he's, he's probably excited. He's saying, yes, Jesus. He, he told me what I wanted to hear. He says, I'm good. And the truth is, no, you and I are not good. And you and I can never be good enough, even following the commandments, even following the law. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't follow them, but it comes from a heart that has had faith in Christ alone. And it's, a, it's the outpouring of our of our gratitude towards Him that we follow the law. I want to read a passage out of Romans chapter 3 highlighting this. Jesus understands that no one is good, that all have sinned. He understands that only God is good and that the law condemns us all. In Romans, and Paul talks about this in Romans 3, beginning in verse 20. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. See, this is what should have happened for the rich young ruler. Jesus was exposing his heart, exposing his wickedness, exposing how far he was from being good, that his heart was far from him. Paul goes on in verse 21, but now apart from the law, because the law has given us insight to our own heart, and we know that we're far from God and we're sinful and we need something else. And apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. No one is good except God alone. We see that righteousness revealed, and it says, attested by the law and the prophets. We, see, we, we started looking for life, and then we thought, well, maybe I found Jesus or found religion, so, so I'll start doing these things in order to earn my life. But we don't just follow the law. We, we see that life comes and is revealed by the law. Not by the keeping of the law, but it's revealed by the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets, the Word of God, points to Jesus Christ. Verse 22 says, The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The rich young ruler comes up looking for life. And he thinks he's now found the answer that if I keep the commandments, I will be given life. I'll have eternal life. But that's not what Jesus was saying at all. He was not saying, oh no, you're good if you followed the law. He's saying, no, here's the law. Here's the test. No one is good but God. Now since we're measuring up, what, how, how about you? How about me? Romans says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's no distinction between us, because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ because there is no distinction. We have all sinned and fallen short. 
The law won't bring life, but the law points to the one who does. And we see that in John chapter 5. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. Verses 39 and 40, he says, You pour over the Scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. You know, here's the deal. In this progression, so many of us will keep looking and looking and never finding true life and true satisfaction. Sure, those things we uh, pursue will give us some pleasure temporarily, will be fun for a, a while, but ultimately they'll get old and we'll become numb and we'll have to push them aside and, and look for something new. And we, we do that in rejection of Christ. So yeah, Jesus, I've heard of Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. But I think I still want my own comfort and my own pleasures. And we keep on looking somewhere else. And then there's those of us who have stopped looking in those things, or at least for the most part, have stopped and set those aside and said, I found it. I found it in being obedient to the law. If I can just be good enough, if I can look good enough, if I can cross out, cross all the T's, dot all the I's, put every check mark down on the list, I'll be in good standing with God. But see, we're just looking at the law and not looking at what the law points at. See, you and I can never fulfill all that the law requires us to fulfill. All that Jesus has has said to do. And He says, I've shown you this. I've given you the law to show you you're a lawbreaker. See, the the law has been revealed and it attests to Jesus Christ. And you might be pouring over the Scriptures and studying everything you can get your hands on. But if you're not finding life in Christ, you're still dead. The Scriptures are not enough on their own. The Scriptures point us to Jesus Christ. And if you're not willing to come to Him, then you will not have life. Listen, my religion won't bring me life. Jesus will. And what's interesting is in, during this time, uh, this season in our world history, religion has absolutely been upset in many ways, and, and religion has actually been fortified in others. For you and I, religion has been upset because I, I used to go on Sunday to a church and sit in a pew. I used to open a hymnal or, or open a Bible and, and I used to dress my Sunday best and right now you're in pajamas with your stockings on at home. It's been upset, hasn't it? But you're still finding, you're like, okay, my religion, what is my new religion? Well, if I show up at 10.30 and, and click play on the YouTube live channel and I watch the, the worship and I will put my time in in the Word and, and listen to the preacher, I've done what I need to do. It's, it's my religious practice. See, we can still fortify that religion. Jesus says, I want to wreck all of that. I want you to see that the law, what I've given to you through the Word, points to Jesus Christ. Today, even Mother's Day, some of you are like, I have fulfilled my religious duty in, in the craziest way today. I went to church in my recliner with my wife or with my mom in in honor of her because she wanted to go to church today. I wanted to get outside. It's a nice day. But my my wife, my mom, it was Mother's Day, so we sat here. So I'm fulfilling a religious duty here. Surely God will accept that. You see how we hold on to religion even when religion is upset. But now more than ever, I would encourage you to, to throw aside religion and say, and run to Jesus. Run to the source of life, not not to look in other places and to build your own kingdom with those things, not to go and do all the things He wants you to do, but what He wants you to do is to believe in the Son that has been sent. 
So there's this progression from looking, then we go to this place of, oh, maybe it's not looking and finding it in idols, it's doing everything I can to line up. And that's not true either. So we move forward, and this goes to number three. Number three is real life is knowing Christ. Real life is knowing Christ. So Jesus responds back to the rich young ruler. He said, "Uh, teacher, I've kept all of these from my youth. Not getting the point, right? And Jesus, in verse 21 and 22, he says this. Uh, Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said, now this is loving what he says. You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. You see, he had built his kingdom by looking to stuff and adding things to his life and to his list. And then he came to Jesus saying, not only do I have things, I also have, I'm doing all the right things. I'm, I'm looking good. And Jesus responded, oh no, you still lack. And, and what he's really saying is this, you still lack the one thing. The one thing that really brings life. And that is denial of self. You see, before we can come to faith in Christ, before we can embrace Jesus as our all-satisfying, totally sufficient treasure, we have to put ourselves aside. We have to humble ourselves in a way that we're so empty that we're, we're left parched and hungry for Jesus only. Because only He can fill us. He says you lack one thing. It's, that thing is taking everything out of first place that doesn't really give life. Taking everything out of first place that doesn't really give life. The rich young ruler heard that. He said, I, I like what I was doing. I like looking for things in my possessions. I like doing the law and, and being a good person. I, I, that's, what, that's what I want to be fulfilled and that's where I found life. And you just shattered my dreams, Jesus. So what did he do? He left sad. He left sad because he had many possessions, many idols. He had built his little kingdom and he didn't want it to come crashing down around him. Even though the exchange would have been a good one. Let's continue on in this passage in Mark. I want to read the rest of it and just get some perspective on it. Jesus looked around. The the rich young ruler had left and he'd, he'd gone on his way. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now as we read this, understand that, especially in America, every one of us is rich. Compared to the rest of the world, every one of us is rich. Every one of us is looking for life in all the wrong places. Every one of us has idols and possessions and comfort that we put on top of everything else in our lives. We all fit in this category of wealthy or the rich. How hard it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. His disciples were astonished by His words. Again, Jesus said to them, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? What do we do? If, if, if I'm supposed to get through the eye of a needle, or a camel is supposed to get through the eye of a needle, and that's the same as me getting saved, I, I, what happens here? He said it's so hard for us to lay down our idols. It's so hard for us to lay down our comforts. 
so hard for us to lay down our pursuit of what we feel brings life. Jesus said it's impossible for most people to do that. What does it take? It's the one thing you lack. It's to deny yourself. So they went on saying, Jesus looked at them and said, with, with man, it's impossible. How can you be saved? With man, it's impossible. But with God, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. Peter began to tell him, look, we have left everything and follow you. So he heard what was said. He heard what was said to the rich young ruler. He said, go and sell everything and leave it behind and come and follow me. And Peter and many of the disciples had experienced that. They left it all behind. Jesus, truly I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one that has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. Now let me, let me explain what is being said here. When we come to faith in Christ, when we, when we come to the, our wits end and we, we know that the idols can't fulfill, the idols can't bring life, when even our obedience to the law and, and being a good person can't bring life, when we are at our wits end, when maybe we've even turned away from Jesus and gone away sad because we had so much stuff and our kingdom was the way we wanted it, Jesus is still wanting us to abandon and come to Him. And when we come to faith in Christ, that shatters all of that. Now, for some of you, you're like, what does that shatter? Well, it may, it may have shattered what you had put your hope in or what you had put your time into or what brought you the most satisfaction. And it's been a slow change in your heart, but God has changed that. You used to find joy and fulfillment in something, and now you can't find it there, and you only find it in, in Jesus. That thing that was first place is now not first place. It might still be part of your life. You might still do it, but, but nothing comes, uh, comes to fulfill you except for Christ in your life. So that thing is set aside. For, for others, though, the, the other people, though, and, and maybe you don't understand this and don't realize this, for others who have come to faith in Christ, they have cut off relationships for the sake of knowing Christ and having life. That people have said, don't go to Christ. Don't go be a part of the way. Don't be a Christ follower. That's, that's rubbish. And if you do, I'm going to disown you. I'm not going to be your friend or your family or whatever it might be. People have have forsaken families to go and find life in Christ. They left jobs and professions. They left wealth and opportunity so they might be found in Christ. People sacrifice for Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, for those who have left their fathers, mothers, children, brothers and sisters, for the sake of the gospel, they will receive a hundred times more now at this time. And what does that mean? When we exchange those things and those relationships that we have to throw aside, or even the self-righteousness that we throw aside, God adds it to us in the form of His church. That you and I as followers of Christ are now brothers and sisters, mothers and daughters, fathers and sons. That we have each other and we have that community that we can rely on and it's even bigger and better than what we had before. That's what he's saying. And not only do we have that, we're going to have, it says, with that, persecutions. People are going to still hate us and despise Jesus, despise us because of Jesus. But he says, he goes on, and what you'll have is eternal life in the age to come. You see, there's this time that says, I need to stop and set aside everything that was first place, and I need to exchange it for Jesus. And when I exchange it for Jesus, I have real 
lasting, eternal life. Or I just keep what I had and, and I'll have that for this life now, but I won't have eternal life for the age to come. He says that, but many who are first, who want to keep themselves first, who want to keep their stuff as first, they will end last. They will be last. And the last, the one who's self-denial, who humbles themselves, throws off everything that was in first place for Jesus and exchanges it for Jesus, the last will be first. Now, I want, I want us to understand something that's really important, especially when we talk about a day like Mother's Day or families and relationships. And, and even as you're at home, maybe now more self-isolated, sheltered in place, and you have children there all the time, and you're going crazy, and you, you're like that video we saw earlier, your mom needs a quarantine, right? I understand that. But here's something that is a temptation for you and I. It's to bring those relationships that we had or even take relationships that we do have and to start creeping our gaze towards them for life. This happens both, both directions here. I want us to understand. If you, are, if you are a believer in Christ, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, what that has meant is that you have denied yourself. You've thrown everything aside and found ultimate worth, ultimate value in Jesus Christ, and, and you found life there, that He is your all and all. And listen, nothing can take that away. But we tend to make our eyes wander, don't we? And, and we have relationships. For the, those of you that have trusted Christ, we have relationships around us, maybe a spouse or a parent or a kid or a friend around us. Listen, you and I still, even with those friendships, even if they're solid Christ followers, cannot and should not be looking to them to be the fulfillment of life for us. They can't bring the life that we need. Only Jesus can. For some of you, you may have a spouse that doesn't believe. And you keep looking to them and expecting them to be life-giving. But they can't. Only Jesus can truly give you that life. You might look to a friend or a coworker. They're going to give me life. When I'm around them, I just, I just get life. And I understand, and we'll talk about that in a minute, there's a healthy way for that to happen. But if we're going with the expectation on another person that they are the one to bring me life, you will live, leave disappointed, and they can never live up to that. Here's the other way. Maybe you are an unbeliever. You, you haven't put your faith and trust in Christ Jesus. You haven't submitted your heart to Him and surrendered yet, but you're in relationship with, with other people. Or maybe you're even in relationship with a Christ follower. You cannot look to that Christ follower as your covering. You cannot look to that Christ follower as the, one, the way that's going to give you life. That Christ follower is pointing you to Jesus. And only Jesus can really bring life. And it's so important for us to understand that. We have put too much weight and too much burden on the relationship shoulders around us, asking that they bring and provide and give life, a life that they can never really give. Now, there are ways that they can, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but I want you to, to catch something here. As you and I decide to stop looking for life among the dead and among dead things and among relationships that won't bring life, our relationships with others will change because we aren't needy and we aren't trying to provide life. We're trying to find life and, and have life in Christ. And, and too many of us are putting all of our hope for life in people who are still searching 
for life among the dead. Does that resonate with you? You're putting your hope in, for life and for fulfillment in somebody else, and that person is absolutely searching for life among the dead. Why would you or I look to that person for life then, or any, any kind of encouragement for life? They can't give you life. And here's the point of the rich, rich young ruler as he, as he went to Jesus. Even if you're seeking something from the Messiah, like he was, even if you're seeking something from the Messiah or from those who follow the Messiah, if you're not seeking the Messiah, you will always leave disappointed. The rich young ruler came to Jesus, not for Jesus. He came to Jesus, the Messiah, for something. Something that he left unsatisfied and disappointed from. If you're trying to seek satisfaction or life from even, even someone who loves the Messiah, loves Jesus, you're going to leave disappointed. So if you're seeking something from the Messiah or from those who follow the Messiah, but if you're not seeking the Messiah, you will leave disappointed. 2 Timothy 2.22 was an interesting passage that went along with this because I think it's, it's still important for us. I'm not saying that relationships that, uh, with Christ followers are bad. They shouldn't be the first thing that gives life to us, though, right? But they certainly will help us pursue life and get perspective. 2 Timothy 2.22, uh, here's the encouragement. Flee, flee from youthful passions. Get away from the things that you were looking for at once to fulfill you, to bring life. Flee from youthful passions and pursue. There's a fleeing and a pursuing. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with. So not by yourself alone only, but along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Again, this is, this is the gift that God has given us is each other. The church, the body of Christ, those who have found life, have sought life in the Messiah, have found life in the Messiah, they now have that life. And we should flee everything that doesn't bring life and run to those who are still pursuing life and pursuing Christ from a pure heart. It's that self-denial. It's that that group of people who have said, it's not about me. I'm setting myself aside and I'm seeking God first. I'm going to take up my cross and follow Jesus. In fact, Mark 8, 34 to 38, we're going to read that. Calling the crowd together uh, with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Forever, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Verse 36, so key right here. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world, yet lose his life? We, we make a trade that just isn't very smart. What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We have to lay down those things that we were chasing after in order to exchange them for real life because it does not profit us if we gain the whole world yet forfeit our life. But God says, deny the world, take up your cross, and you will have life. Deny yourself, take up your cross. That means to die to the love of worldly possessions. It means to die to the love of worldly praise or value or ego. It means to die to the love of life in something other than 
Christ. It means to put Him first. What is that life? I love this passage in John chapter 17. John 17 is the high priestly prayer of Jesus. There's a lot of depth there. You can check it out. But verse 3 says this. This is eternal life. This is probably something we should listen to. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the one true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus is is having this prayer time with the Father. He says, this is eternal life. He knows what it is. It's that they would know you, God, the Father, and they would know the one that you have sent, Jesus Christ. So what's the way to life? The way to life is in the birth of a new self. A self that looks at Jesus, that looks at His suffering, His rejection, that looks at His death and His resurrection. It looks to that for hope. And only then can we truly count dead things as dead when we stop looking for life among dead things and look for life and find it in Christ. When we embrace the living, life-giving Savior and, and keep the affections of our souls from idols and from distractions, keep the affections of our souls from our little kingdom so that it can come crashing down and be exchanged for His life and His kingdom. Paul said this, and actually Hoyt preached on this last week from Philippians 3, that everything that was a gain to him, he counted as a loss. All for the, for the knowledge of knowing Christ and being found in Christ. That's what Paul wanted. He, he wanted to count everything a loss except for knowing Christ and being found in Him. And, and Paul knew what it was to be blameless according to the law. And he was. I want us to finish up with this final passage in Psalm 24. If you would turn there in your Bible with me, Psalm 24. Dane read this verse earlier before we sang the song. That was basically a song of this psalm. It just puts in perspective, I believe, where where our heart needs to be in order to find life. Verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 24. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. For He laid its foundations on the seas and established it on the rivers. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false, or who is not sworn deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who will inquire of him who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Selah. I hope you reread that and look at that a little more in depth, but that we would come to him for life. In order to come to Him for life, that we would have clean hands and a pure heart, a heart that has set aside any idol, anything that's lying to us about life, anything that's dead, we set it aside, take it out of first place, and we seek Him with all our heart. We seek the face of the God of Jacob, the God, the covenantial God who is pursuing you and I in His covenantial steadfast love. The same God, the covenantial God who is God over all the earth and all its inhabitants, 
And He is sovereign over them. He is the only one that we can go to for life. Let's set everything else aside. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much. We thank You for Your grace and Your mercy. We thank You that You have given us the Word of God. God, in that it's not just there for, for, for life in the Word. It's that the Word points us to life that is in Jesus. God, may we cling to Him with all that we are. May we hold fast to Jesus Christ. God, His graciousness on the cross and through the, the power of His death and resurrection, God, we, we're thankful for what that has accomplished for us. God, we can't find life in anything in any building of our own little kingdom, in any, anything out there we're looking for life in, God, in relationships or, or money or esteem or value, we can't find life in that. We can't find life even in obedience to a religious system. We can only find life in Christ and in His righteousness and, God, through faith in Him. So, God, today, help us to have faith in Him. Help us trust Him with the depths of our heart to turn to Him for life and turn away from everything else. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to go ahead and close with a song. Let's go ahead and sing.